Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on USFL Spotlight, we are going to recap week six and take a little bit of a look ahead at week seven. Also, we're going to hear from former Alabama and Birmingham Stallions running back, Bo Scarborough, who had a breakout game in Birmingham's sixth straight win to open the season. He talked about just what he learned from Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa, what it means for him to be really on the hometown team, and what he expects from himself and his teammates as a leader, the Birmingham Stallions. Let's go talk to Bo. I'm pleased to be joined by Birmingham Stallions running back, Bo Scarborough. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good, bro. I'm good. I had a good time watching you run the football for the Birmingham Stallions in this really great game against the Michigan Panthers. You had a breakout game, 16 rushes, 105 yards, but you don't seem to be the kind of person who is very much into his own personal accolades. And I want to ask, why is that? Uh, man, you know, I, I try to stay the cause and try to have everyone involved and not making it about one person, you know, because it's a team game and, and we need each other to win. So in order for me to get, you know, whatever, like the stats that you just named, you know, it, it took everybody on the team in, in order for me to get that. Like I explained it yesterday, you know, the offensive line have to block, you know, the quarterback had to hand it out for me to, to hand it out to me. And then, you know, our receiver, those guys have to, you know, handle, handle their responsibility by blocking their man. And because if one person not doing their job, then the whole play is ruined. So that's why I never make it so much about me. It is really so much about, you know, the team because it's it's more than one person out there playing. You know, there's 11 guys on the field and, you know, and then 11 guys make, you know, the thing work. So that's my whole thing, man. It is giving credit to the offensive line and the receivers and the other guys that make, you know, the play work. I realize that's a very big deal to you and it's working for y'all. You're obviously a six and O, but you were being a late addition to the USFL. So I want to ask it this way. Why did you want to play in the United States football league? Uh, you know, it wasn't, well, you know, me and my agent, we had a, a conversation about it and um, he, um, you know, put my name in the portal or whatever, we thought it would be the best decision for me, you know, put my name in the porter. 
And um, as soon as the rule had changes in the late uh, in, in in the USFL, you know, Birmingham uh, Stallions were one of the first teams to call me. And so, and you know, I, I couldn't wait around and you know just sit at home. So I wanted to you know play football. So I went with the best you know decision. And you know they called and you know I agreed to it and I ended up in Birmingham. Well. What was the reception like from Coach Holtz once you found out that the Birmingham Stallions wanted you? Uh, he called me, you know, he, he introduced himself, told me who he was, and, you know, he asked me uh, that I wanted to come play for them, and I told him, you know, yes, sir, I would. And he said there's a new rule supposed to be changing here, uh, you know, very soon. And, you know, probably about an hour later, he called me. He said, we're going to uh, pick you up, man, and, you know, we want you here as soon as possible if you can. And, uh, you know, you was a, a, a big choice to uh, our decision. And, you know, congratulations. And, you know, and hope to see you here very soon. And I was like, thank you, Coach. You know, thank you for the opportunity, you know, to play football again. Well, I'm going to let the audience know that recently the USFL changed the number of players that they could have on each one of the rosters. So you can have up to 50 players on your roster and I believe it's closer to 43 now that you can have active as opposed to 38. And Bo obviously is one of these players that Coach Holtz wanted to add to his roster, but he was effusive in his praise of you and how you have adapted to the team itself. But one of the things I thought was interesting that you brought up was just how much you needed to learn and how humble you wanted to be. And the way I'm getting at that is running backs coach at Stallions is Larry Kirksey. And I wonder... What have you picked up immediately from the same man who coached Jerry Rice, 1995, to over 1,800 yards receiving, coached Emmitt Smith at Florida? Uh, this guy, man, Kersky, we always in the film room, you know. He critiqued the little things exactly just like Coburn did. He reminded me so much of Burton Burn. And, like, you know, you could be doing so many things right, and he going to point out that little thing to you that you could have did, um, that you could have did right and will make you much better. And then when you go on the field and you do exactly what he said, everything happens so smooth and you feel like, you know, you feel like you did the right thing, you know, that he wanted you to do. And you come back to the sideline and he says, see, you see that, you see, <laughs> you see that, that little change that we made make a big difference. And now I'm like, you know, yes, sir. So, you know, me and Cole Kerska, man, we watch film a lot. We sit down. And, you know, we go back and forth with things on how we should do this and how we should do that. What, what you know, like what, what, what footwork we should take on certain plays and things like that. And, you know, we'll try it out. And, 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 I, and that's what I like about him so much. He's willing to work with you and trying to make you comfortable playing so you can play fast and at your best and be relaxed as he wants you to be. So that's what I love about Kersky, man. We, uh, especially we watch so much film and he break down them little things to you and it translate over to the field. And then you like, wow, it's a big eye opening that the little things that Coach Kersky teaches you means a big thing in a game or at practice. I've been kind of floored just by how the city of Birmingham has embraced the Stallions in particular it's not a secret to those of us that have been to Protective Stadium to been fortunate enough to see the USFL that the Birmingham games are the best attended games. And as you went to a little college down the way down there in Tuscaloosa, you know, little small state college, if you will, uh, called University of Alabama, I wonder 
What's it feel like for you to get a loud cheer every time you touch the ball from this Birmingham crowd? Uh, it's just the best fans, man. Like, you know, I think the state of Alabama have some of the best fans in the country and they loyal fans. And, um, you know, they keep up with their guys that, you know, play at Alabama. And, you know, you will be amazed at how many people attend the game and say, oh, I watched you since Northbridge days. And, I, you know, I followed you all the way through college and, and through the NFL. And it's so great to have you here in Birmingham. I get a chance to watch you play again. And it, and it's, you know, it's heartwarming, you know, to um, have fans and people to come up to you and say that. and. You know, being back here in Alabama is something special to play for Birmingham. And and one thing I can say about the fans of, of Alabama, period, they're going to support, you know, their team no matter what city it's in. And and I thank them for supporting us and taking their time out and coming to watch us play. Because they can be at a million other places than, you know, coming to watch us play for the three and a half hour, however many uh, – however long it may be. Like I said, they could be at Top Golf at the bowling alley, the movies, or at a concert, or doing something, you know, totally different from coming to watch, you know, a couple of guys hit each other. And and we love that the fans come out and support us the way that they do and, and how loyal they are and, you know, want to see a win. And they just bring chills to us that these fans are taking their time out their day to come to support us. It's an interesting point that you raise because the week prior to this one, I'm at Birmingham, I'm at Protective Stadium, and y'all have an 11 a.m. kick on a Sunday, and I'm like, yo, this, this, going, this might be rough. And no, folks decided that, hey, we're going to be able to get to church. We're going to see about a quarter, maybe quarter and a half, then we're going to go to church because we got to see the Birmingham Stallions play. And that speaks to just what you referenced in that Birmingham is a tremendous football city, and the state of Alabama loves its football Again, I mentioned that you played at the University of Alabama, and I want to talk a bit about that. But do you have a favorite Nick Saban story that you can tell us? Uh, my favorite story is with Coach Saban um, is when it's always around during the springtime, getting close to the summertime. And, you know, the media always try to, you know, bash us as the dynasty is over, you know, Alabama not going to win anymore and all this. And, and then, you know, Coach Saban, he coming on, he tell us, uh, you know, my story not funny. It, it's just real straightforward. And, and I love it to the day is that, you know, he called the media the, the rat poison, you know, that, you know, people listen to the rat poison. And, and that's, what I, that's what I like about Coach Saban so much because he take up for his players you know like the media you know they 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 take it and run with it a different way but with Coach Saban he take up for us and you know he don't want us to you know get caught up in the rat poisoning as as what he call it and then uh another thing that I took from Coach Saban with me is doing the right thing when you're supposed to do it where you supposed to do it, how you supposed to do it. And and those things stick with me from day one. If you, when you're doing the right thing, you have to know when, where, how, and why you're doing it. And and that's what I learned from Coach Saban, man. And like Coach Saban, he helped me grow as a man 
you know, on the outside of football and make me look at life different and how to go about life. And, you know, and it's and it just a blessing to be able, you know, to take those things from Coach Saban and for him to, you know, grow us as a man and as, a, and as an athlete. I just think it's incredible what he does at the University of Alabama. And, like, the only – the only way you cannot learn from Coach Saban as if you went there and you didn't buy into the program, you didn't, you know, do what he have set up for you to do. And he gave you so many chances. And, you know, he always want to help every player, no matter what situation it may be. He's not a one to two to three chance guy. He going to give you so many chances, but it's up to you, you know, to take those chances and, change you know because he want to see everybody succeed but once you get to a point to where he can't help you then it's up out of his hand you know what i mean but the thing that i love about coach saban is that he helped us as a player grow as a man and not just only on the football field and that's what a lot of people doesn't see what coach saban does on the inside to his players as making us mentally and physically strong and know how to give effort and be tough in tough situations and being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So, and, and, and it just grew on me to, you know, do all those things that Coach Saban has taught us. And, and that's what I live by to this day. The things, the years that I was at, Coach, the years that I was at Alabama, it still live with me right now because, it helped me grow as a person and as a man and also as a football player. So I look at things way different than I did from when I first came to Alabama. It's an interesting point you make about just how y'all come out of the University of Alabama's football players. My favorite story being around Jalen Hurts, who brought rat poison with him to Oklahoma. Me being an Oklahoma man, I very much appreciate what he was able to do at OU, but also just how sincere he was, not unlike yourself, and how unselfish he was. Which leads me to this question. In this new age of name, image, and likeness, which we have introduced as a new variable to college football, do you think you would take part in this emerging market? Um, I, 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 I probably wouldn't so because... Like, these are kids, you know? We're kids. And you you take and give this 17, 18-year-old $300,000, you know, to come play football, where's his focus at? You know what I mean? Is he Where's his, his focus go towards his long-term goal? You know, if you were 18 year old and you had $300,000, you don't know what to do with that. You know what I mean? But... I can't speak on too much of that, man, because, you know, I, I don't know too much about it, but I, I don't think that it's the, you know, correct thing to do to these young athletes. It's an interesting point. I think it's one that's been raised by many coaches who would like to see some changes as they relate to NIL. So I appreciate you saying what you did about it. You became – a viral sensation in high school uh, because there was this particular photo that was tweeted about you with the big 601 across your chest. And I wonder what that experience was like for you when people saw that 
you look like a 30 year old man ready to play in the NFL as a 16 year old <laughs> child. <laughs> and man, it was just Mike Smith, man. Uh, he was always working me out. Uh, the uh, head coach over at Northridge High School. He was, our, uh, you know, we was, it was crazy. We were doing so much extra work because he was big at the time, had big calf muscle, you know, tall guy by 6'3", really, you know, uh, looked apart and built up. And, you know, I, I started working with him and he would make me do, <laughs> I don't know how many uh, calf raises and leg raises I would do, but it was, we had an hour and um, 30 minute classes. So I would have to be with him for an hour and 30 minutes. So we would do lead lifts for 10 times. Then he he make me walk, get water, come back 10 more, walk, get water, come back 10 more. So I don't know. I had stopped counting out the four. And then, you know, upper body, you know, we was, you no, know, you know, we were just ripping out. 225 like every day no problem and then at one point like this was when I was in high school at one point we was doing 225 like 30 to 40 times nonstop, and 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 that all came from coach Mike Smith uh he was on me he he, he worked me out you know twice a day and you know he, he took care of me made sure that I was good um but he always had me in that weight room definitely him and Mary T. Long and she was the trainer, and you know, she made sure that I didn't have any little knickknacks or anything that could possibly happen. She was trying to, you know, prevent every injury um, from happening. And those two people right there is the reason why I was looking the way that I did up in high school. <laughs> well, I got to follow up with that because uh, I'm something of a meathead. What are you benching now, and what are you squatting now? Uh, when I was at Exos, I benched uh, four or five, and I had uh, got up to five fifteen squat. Goodness, man! I mean, it feels like you go to Alabama. One of the things that they're also going to do is put you on a meal plan and make you bigger, faster, and stronger. So there's a bunch of players, eighty five on scholarship, that are bigger, faster, and stronger once they get there than before they arrive. But your freshman year is also interesting for a number of us because it's the precursor to what we've come to understand about the skilled players at Alabama. Your freshman year, the running back room was Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake, Damian Harris, and yourself. Now, it's cliche to say, but there's only one football. So how did y'all get to know and understand that everybody's got to do their job? Well, you know, Coach Burns, he... He made us that way. Mm. You know, he made us to be ready when our number call. Because at any given day, someone can be hurt and our number can be called. So we knew that we were behind Derek and Kenyon. Like, we knew that. So we knew that we have to learn from those guys and learn the system and learn to buy in and learn what was going on and, and learn how to play college football because we were coming from high school. And Coach John and Coach Byrne did a very good job of getting all ready. He was always on us. Stay ready, man. Stay ready. Stay ready. Stay in your you know, stay in your playbook. If I was it, if I was y'all, and I was at home sitting on the toilet, I have my plays taped to the back of the door. As I'm taking a dump, I'll be reading those plays, you know. And and that helped us a lot because he was giving us ideas on things that we can be doing 
and still studying the plays at the same time. You know, you sit on the toilet and look at your phone, right? So why you can't take the plays to the door and, and look at that as a tent message? So, yeah, it, it was so much of Coke Byrne getting us ready. And and it's Alabama, and we knew we was going to win. We had the mindset to win. And, and there were everybody in the building mindset was on. It's to be 1-0, week in and week out, and to climb that mountain to the top. Hey man, some other people be on Facebook, Instagram. This man's he's studying the playbook. I, I like, I really do. I really love that. Uh, my last question for you, Bo, is one of the things that I was struck by was just how deferential JoJo uh, safety for the Birmingham Stallions, JoJo Tillery and Coach Holtz were to you when you were speaking on behalf of them. And I thought that was really eye-opening for me because I know you haven't been a part of the team for very long, and yet. They already look to you as a leader. What does it mean for you to be that kind of a guy, not just for Coach Holtz, but for the team itself? Uh, is, is that everybody on our team lead in a certain way. You know what I mean? So we have to be a leader, you have to lead by example. You know what I mean? So when you lead them by example, then you get guys to buy in. But if you can talk and talk and talk and doesn't show the guys how it's supposed to be done, then the team not the team not gonna be together. But if you lead the team by example and showing them the way of what it takes and how it is to be a leader and what it's gonna take to win, and the guys buy in, and then everybody start looking like, wow. He's right, you know, like this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to win. If we do this, then we can win. But as for me, I look at everyone on our team as a leader because everyone lead in a different way. You know what I mean? And our team, it just sounds special because we, we have multiple leaders on our team. We maybe 10 to 15 guys on our team that lead in different ways. And I think that will make us so good together because we have different type of leaders with different personalities that they get guys to buy in in different ways because some guys may not understand what one guy is saying, but he can understand what another guy is saying that meaning the same thing, and they can bring us together as one and not, every, and not everyone is bought into the program because everybody is leading in a different type of way, but getting everybody on the same page as one. If that's that makes right. sense. No, that's all right, man. Like it's interesting for me to see how college football has layered over to the USFL with folks like coach Holtz among others. But I also wanted to say thank you for doing this. Bo Scarborough, Birmingham Stallions running back and two time college football playoff national champion looking to be one of the members of the first to win the inaugural USFL championship. Bo, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you. My thanks to Bo Scarborough for joining the number one ranked show. It's a very entertaining listen. I'm really floored by just how unselfish he still remains to be with those national title rings and on what I think is the best team in the USFL so far, which is a nice segue into my week seven USFL power rankings following week six to nobody's surprise at number one is the Birmingham Stallions who are the only undefeated team 
in the USFL. They are 6-0, and and they were able to get a win against the Michigan Panthers despite not having linebacker Scooby Wright, losing linebacker Brady Buck, and also losing linebacker Nate Holly. Didn't seem to be much of a problem for them as they also played without C.J. Uh, Marable on offense, which is one of the reasons why we saw a lot of Bo Scarborough in this game. And again, despite substandard play by Jamar Smith, I think he'd be the first person to admit that. I think it was something like 12 or 25 for 140. Just wasn't really that great. They still were able to go get a win. And that's really been the story with the Birmingham Stallions. They just find ways to beat their opponents at the end, whether it's putting together long drives to finish off game or whether it's getting timely quarterback play from guys like Jamar Smith or even Alex Magoo, who had an outstanding third and 26 play where he just threw it for 40 yards downfield and they were able to really ice the game for against the Michigan Panthers. I'm really interested to see if they can keep this up as we are into the final few weeks of this inaugural USFL season. Number two on the list. The New Jersey Generals, that's Mike Riley's Generals that are riding high after a five-game winning streak, right, which is really kind of outstanding given what they've been up against. Their only loss, of course, is to the Birmingham Stallions, and we've seen them play with both quarterbacks in all but one game. They needed to do it again for their win yesterday as they really didn't look terrible but also didn't look like they're firing on all cylinders. But they still had some outstanding play. We saw a couple of trick plays. We saw Kevante Turpin go off. And they've been getting some great defense against really what I thought was a pretty doggone good football team. Now, I also think that it's interesting that the Stallions, you know, have put together a 10-minute-plus drive, right, to finish off the Philadelphia Stars in Week 5. The Breakers put together an 18-play drive for 94 yards. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But the Generals were able to put together a 23-play 95-yard drive for their win yesterday. (laughs) That means they took up the entire third quarter just going down the field to go score. That's pretty outstanding. That's pretty remarkable. Number three on the list, New Orleans Breakers. Now, we could have some discussions about why or how, but they look like they got back on the good foot against the Pittsburgh Maulers. Anthony Jones was a revelation for the Breakers. He really carried the load for them at tailback. This is a man who was not a member of the Breakers until earlier this month with the injury to former North Carolina tailback TJ Logan. They had a roster spot. He filled it coming out of Florida International. He had over 100 yards rushing on the ground, and they needed to have that with Jordan Ellis still not really being the dude that we thought he would be going into this week, but still leading the USFL in rushing yards as it is. Gerard Fernandez, who was on my midseason all-star team for the USFL, played like one, made 11 tackles to lead the New Orleans Breakers against, uh, or over, I should say, the Pittsburgh Maulers on Sunday. I also would add in there that Kyle Sloter did not play his best and they were still able to get a win. You're going to take that if you're Larry Fedora. Number four on the list, the Philadelphia Stars. Now, star linebacker Jordan Moore decided to show everybody what SEC speed actually means with the game on the line. So it looked as if the Tampa Bay Bandits might find a way to at the very least tie the game at the end of regulation, if not go for two in the win, when we saw Jordan Tomu, who played one heck of a game, toss pass to Rashard Davis. Rashard Davis went flying downfield, and it felt like Jordan Moore came from off the screen to run him down and drag him down inside the 10-yard line, which really ended up being 
the play of the game for me. And the reason I say SEC speed for Jordan Moore is he didn't just win the Big 12 outdoor championships in the 110 meter hurdles. He transferred to LSU and won the SEC 110 meter hurdles outdoor championship. This is an outside linebacker that can fly. You've heard me talk about Jordan a couple of times here on the number one ranked show. And that is also indicative of the kind of talent that is all throughout this league. You can find a 110 meter hurdle champion four times over in an all American playing linebacker for the Philadelphia stars. Outstanding. Also outstanding running back Matt Colburn rushed for a 140 yards. This is huge for the stars who don't usually depend on their run game to move the football. As a matter of fact, they average just seven or excuse me, 65 yards a game rushing going into their win. And then we had Matt Colburn coming out with Paul Terry, not being able to go, go for that 140. That is the third highest rushing tally by anyone in the league so far this season. It's uh, really great for them to be able to continue to push for this playoff spot. And that's what they're after being one of the two teams in the North division to earn a playoff spot. Number five on the list, the Tampa Bay bandits. I mentioned Jordan Tamu played an outstanding game and he did. He went for over 300 yards passing. He grew into the game as the game went on. What ended up dooming the bandits in their loss is they just turned the ball over. You can't throw interceptions. You can't fumble the ball on the, on the handoff. You can't put the ball on the floor and expect to win football games, but they had a chance there at the end. And it looked like had they been able to score from the five yard line that they might have gone for two rather than kick or go for the onside kick to perhaps win in regulation or even get us to overtime, which would have been fun because we haven't seen the overtime rules go into effect in this game. As a matter of fact, We've only seen one fourth and 12 attempt that ended up working. That was Tampa Bay Bandits in this game against the Stars, which is kind of cool because Stars are the first team in professional football history to go for a three-point conversion and get it. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that game on Saturday. Number six on the list, I'm going to put the Michigan Panthers here. I'm going to put them there because it looked like they found who they are. Even as Reggie Corbin, their star running back, was not himself. Shea Patterson acquitted himself well, going for over 200 yards passing. The defense was fine to good. I'm sure Jeff Fisher's kicking himself because having just one win through six weeks would do that to anybody. But I also think that it's interesting in that they had a chance to beat the Stallions from where I'm sitting if Fisher elected to go for a three-point conversion as opposed to an extra point conversion on their last touchdown because you would have been able to tie the game up at 19 and then perhaps force the Stallions to make a mistake because I'm of the opinion that the more pressure I can put on my opponent, the more likely they are to break, right? I'm counting on you to not beat yourself. So put the Stallions in a position to where they have to beat themselves. That was my one note. But outside of that, the Panthers have been a good football team and they've been in every game, it seems, at least by halftime. Never been blown out in a game. This is the thing I can say about most of the teams in this league. Number seven on the list, the Pittsburgh Maulers. The Maulers couldn't find an answer for the Breakers running game, headlined by Anthony Jones, but they could find an answer for Kyle Sloter, which is interesting. Sloter is the league's leading passer, but he went for just 92 passing yards on 21 pass attempts against the Pittsburgh Maulers. The defense has been a strength of that team from the jump. They got some offense out of that lead. We're out of Madre London, Garrett Groshek, and they got a bit. They've got outstanding wide receivers in Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither, among others. 
It just didn't come together for them at the end. They're going to try to get their second win later this week in week seven. And finally, the Houston Gamblers uh, occupy the eighth spot this week. This is a normally opportunistic defense that's been great at creating turnovers that just wasn't able to flex their might against the New Jersey Generals in this game. Clayton Thorson threw three TDs, but the rushing attack had just 57 yards on 19 carries. And what I think is their best player, Mark Thompson, on offense, only had 23 rushing yards on 11 rushes. That's got to be better. Donald Payne, though, linebacker for the Gamblers, continues to be perhaps the best linebacker in this league. He had 18 tackles in this game, and he's got 76 this season through six weeks. For perspective here, Donald Payne has more tackles than the leading scorer in the league. That'd be his own teammate, Clayton Thorson, with 66 points. So 76 tackles versus 66 points. You can see just what Donald Payne has meant to Tim Lewis and the Houston Gamblers defense. All right. Those are my week seven power rankings. My thanks again to Bo Scarborough for joining us here on the number one ranked show. And my thanks to you for listening, downloading, subscribing, liking, giving five stars to the podcast. Uh, My thanks to our associate producer, Tyler Wojak, our social media maven, that is J.B. on Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. Our executive producer is Catherine Donnelly. And our director is John Marcus. You know me, I'm RJ. We will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.